the focus. Him, uh, like, like it says in Corinthians, all the promises of God find their yes answer in Jesus. Isn't that cool? I mean, he's central. And, and um, the purpose of the letter and this time together tonight, and God wants us to understand as his children to learn how to integrate his life into ours day by day, and to understand his amazing rescue that he's accomplished on our behalf. The Christian life is a constant nudging of us, step by step, day by day, circumstance by circumstance, toward dependence on Jesus and away from self-sufficiency. It nudges us in the direction of relationship with God and how much we need him. And that's the highest value we see in, in, that's the highest priority in the New Testament, really through the whole word, isn't it? But Colossians especially is nudging us in that direction and, and with the whole New Testament too. In 2 Corinthians 3, 4 to 6, it's, it gives this basic overview of, of um, the tension in living the Christian life because there's a way to do it that's horizontal and more visible and there's a way to do it that might take a little longer that's less visible but more powerful and and I think these verses sum that up so well it says such confidence we have through Christ toward God not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves but our adequacy is from God who God who makes us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, the horizontal compulsion I have to obey to be right with God, not of the letter of the law, but of the spirit. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. A couple of weeks ago, Valerie and I were watching America's Funniest Videos, and there was this little boy, probably six or seven, and they had this picture of him. I tried to find it so many times that I couldn't. You guys will probably just be able to go right to it. But anyway, my version of what he did is not anywhere near adequate, but it was, he was sitting there, and he had his hands like this, and he was just going, <laughs> and he was just, his arms were shaking, and he was grimacing, and he was going like that. He was just so frustrated. And, ah, and his mom said, son, what are you doing? He says, I'm just trying to grow up. I'm trying to get bigger. And he's going, ah, and she says, are you succeeding? He said, no, I'm not succeeding. And, and um, I, think, I think that's the way we are in the Christian life a lot of times. I just want to grow up. I want to get bigger. Ah, but I can't add any power, any height to my life from that can I? Because that's a process. Colossians in today's thoughts call us to maturity. God is calling us to maturity. Grow up. Rise up. Keep going. Be useful. End well. But that's a mystery. That process is really a mystery. I just can't drum that up in me by myself. We, it's a supernatural process. Even the simplest Christian action is a, has to have a supernatural component. 
And I don't, I don't push God's buttons and I don't demand that that happens. It's a course of faithfulness and process over time, right? The Christian life isn't easy. It's not easy dealing with the unseen world. It's not easy waiting. It's not easy understanding how do my decisions in this flesh and blood life influence eternity as as well as others. How does that work? We're going to be looking at a few things in Psalm 116, uh, I think, that are marks of maturity and, um, and help us um, assess our walk, with, our walk with the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> um, a number of years ago, when Valerie's mom was still alive and she and her husband, Wade, uh, lived down in St. David and Wade was a little older than mom Bruner and and he got dementia and he was we had to have him um, put in a um, nursing care an assisted living care place that that was just hard but mom Bruner was just a faithful lady and she was there and to be with her husband every single day until he passed away and there was a lot of people in that place that were older and and just kind of losing it mentally and there's this one lady was down the down the road. She, this was the nursing home was in Benson, and this lady was from Bisbee, and she just wanted to go home. I want to go to Bisbee. I want to go home, and that would be her her plea every day, all the time. And one day she encountered Mom Bruner out, just walking through the hallways and stuff, and and this lady this lady. Um, was just agitated, and, and mom says, well, darling, what's wrong? She says, I want to go home to Bisbee. And mom Bruner looked her right in the eye, and she said, dear, you can't get there from here. There's a big gap, and it's, you're not going to be able to do that. And that's the way the Christian life is. There's this huge thing. There's this huge thing that only God can bridge. There's this huge um, list of observations and expectations, and only God can f- work that into us. And part, one of the hardest things, and yet one of the most freeing things in the Christian life is we learn how to enter into that, I think. <clears throat> Verses 3 to 9 in, in Psalm 116. Let me just read those. <clears throat> The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully for you. For you have rescued my soul from death my eyes from tears and my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord in the the land of the living. I think one of the greatest revelations that God is revealing as we go, as we walk with him, is just what an amazingly powerful and volcanic and cataclysmic 
cataclysmic and violent thing it was when we yielded our lives to Jesus. And he says, like in Colossians 1, that he rescued us from the domain of darkness. And that word, that word has a sense of ripping us out of the enemy's grasp. There is a, just a warfare going on. And, and we are fruits, and we are um, fruits of the battle. And, and we, we don't even think in terms of how violent it was. And there was warfare, this clash at the cross and clash at the grave happened. And he rescued us from the domain of darkness. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his son. And that literally means ripped us out of one and planted us in solid ground in, in, the, in the Lord's kingdom. And, and this is a big thing. It's just not a nice little thing to read. It was just an uh, uh, eternal fruit of this battle that's been raging through eternity. And I think part of the Christian life as we grow in our appreciation from that and we see just what an awesome God we have that he ripped us out and we start viewing our lives differently. We start viewing our understanding of the Lord Jesus and what he did differently. We understand the enemy and what happened and what transpired on the cross differently. The word paints a different picture, an evolving picture of the enemy and his part in this. And God wants us to grow in our appreciation of that. He wants us to understand what an awesome deliverance he did on our behalf. And that that's an eternal one. That we're not in and out of the kingdom of God. When we've committed ourselves to him, he's placed us there. And he's committed himself to our well-being. And to us finishing this. John 5.24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. He has redeemed my life from the grave and from death. And that's a huge thing. It's a huge thing that we could be dead spiritually and then all of a sudden alive spiritually in different people. And he's put his life and resources in us so that we can live the Christian life. Forever changed with our relationship with the Father. Forever changed in our relationship with the enemy. From death to life and darkness to light and slaves to children and enemies to friends. And from cowards to overwhelming conquerors. When I was in the military, um, <laughs> I, was, I was in the military because I didn't know why I was in college and I did poorly and during the height of the Vietnam War got drafted. And, um, and that was a scary time. I was just a new believer at that time and it was one of the greatest things that God could have done for me, putting me in the military, uh, even though it was scary. I had the opportunity because I loved the military and I did well and I wanted to honor God in my life there. And I, um, and I had the opportunity to go to officer's candidate school, which is really intense. And I was trained as an artilleryman and I also fired missiles, Nike Hercules missiles. But the, the six months that I was in officer's candidate school, I was a slave of a man by the name of Lieutenant Schwartz. He was my God. He was, he was a lieutenant 
brand new freshly shined gold bars and he was in duty and I had to jump when he said jump and I had to run when he said run and I had to clean my clothes when he said clean my clothes and he was my god for the time that I was in the military. He was the boss. He was, he was it. Well, fortunately, I was able to go through and did very well in officer's candidate school and we graduated and, and we were all sitting around in our barracks and all these you know, probably 60 or 100 brand new second lieutenants. Uh, bars shined up and uh, uniform ready to go and we're ready to check out and go home, go, go to our assignment. Well, up until that time, every time Lieutenant Schwartz walked into the building, somebody, the first person that saw him had to call the building to attention and everybody would immediately stop what they're doing and just stand at attention, stand straight forward until he said, as you were, carry on or whatever he would do to dismiss us. So this morning after we graduated, Lieutenant Schwartz came in. The first guy that saw him said, battery, tent, hut. And everybody went, Clark, you just hear everything stop. And then all of a sudden, this one dude yelled out, well, it's only Schwartz. And everybody just got it. And we just started laughing because we were the very same rank as him. He had no authority over us whatsoever. He really did. But... For, for the story, it sounds good. No, he had no, but he didn't. We were the same rank, and out of respect, we would do what he told us to do, to, and we wanted to go home. But anyway, uh, we got it, though, that he had no authority over us whatsoever. And that's the way the enemy is, and the Lord wants us to understand the victory of Jesus at the grave and on the cross um, disabled the enemy. It took away his authority. And our relationship with him is different, even though the enemy wants to come into our lives and have everybody call, call to attention and do what he says he's going to do. But it says in the word, and our relationship with the enemy is clear that, that um, he has no control of us. Um, we're, we are children of warfare. There's this eternal conflict that's been going on from eternity past, and we see it exposed in the garden, and we see it exposed all the way through the word. And, we, and, and the skies are parted, and we see the spiritual realm, and we know there's a warfare going on. And as part of the salvation that God has put us in, we're children of warfare. Like in Israel, in Bosnia and Africa and some of these places where there's perpetual warfare going on, those folks raise their children to understand what's dangerous and what's not. There's minefields, there's sniper places, there's armament all around and disposed armament and unblown up armament. And people just, that's part of their lives and they teach their children to how to live life as children of warfare. Well, we are children of warfare, and part of growing and maturing in this call to maturity is to learn how to fight in the spiritual battle. And, and it's just as much training and just as much learning as learning how to be a soldier. We need to be, you, you read through the scriptures, you see the word be on the alert all over the place. You see, be ready. Um, don't be sleepy. You just see all these exhortations to that we're, Something to watch out for, there's danger around. And God wants us to learn how to live in this, uh, in this world that we're living in. He wants us to grow up and learn how to be successful in this warfare that we're in.
There's training. There's awareness. Paul said we're not ignorant of the strategies of the enemy. Do you know how the enemy works? Do you know what his strategies are? He's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's a thief. He would destroy us if he could, if God didn't restrain him, just like he would have destroyed Job if God didn't restrain him. That's just a, where the heavens parted, and we see how the enemy works. He, he's a, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I mean, he's a serious foe. And we have to learn how to stand in the power, in the authority, in the armor that God gave us. The enemy is constantly trying to thwart God's will on earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> in 1 Peter 5, it says this, Be sober of spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But what do we do? What's our part? But resist him. Firm in the faith, it says. <clears throat> First John 2. This is, just a, this is just an example of spiritual adolescence. It's not even spiritually mature people, and yet... John says it's so important for us, and he says this, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. You are strong, and the word of God abides in you. That's just a sign of adolescence, and God wants us to understand that God's word incorporated into our life and learning how to use it is a way that we resist the enemy. That word resist actually it means withstand to the face. And who's the model for how this works? Yeah, the Lord Jesus is, Daniel. And in, in Matthew 4, 1 to 11, I'll let you guys look it up if you want to. But he's the model of how this works. The enemy came and he said, you know, if you, if you are the son of God, then you can turn these stones into bread. Just like that. That's true. He could have done that, right? but he would have stepped out of his sphere of being a submissive man to the, God, to the Father's plan. So what did the Lord Jesus do? Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He just, he just took, he resisted the enemy to the face, and he applied God's word to the situation. And God just wants us to learn how to do that. Now, we have, we have a difficulty because we don't see the enemy right here. The enemy doesn't visibly appear to us. But the, but the principle is the same. If we in, in, are involved in circumstances where we're being condemned and accused, and that's what the enemy does, God doesn't condemn us and accuse us because there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But we have to learn how to say, Satan, get out of here, because God said that he has taken my sins out of the way and put them as far as the east is from the west, and he doesn't remember them, so leave me alone. And we have to learn how to do what the Lord Jesus did. So then the enemy hit him again and took him up, up on the pinnacle of the temple, and you know the story. And Jesus never just debated him. He just said, Satan, it is written. And then what, did, what happened? The enemy left. And we, as people, have to just learn to 
assess the situation and discern what's of the enemy and what's of the world and what's of the flesh because they're all interrelated. And we have to learn how to apply God's word to our situation so that we can be overwhelming conquerors. We can hold up the shield of faith and knock down all the fiery darts, all the fiery darts the enemy sends our way. We have the capacity to do that. But we have to learn how to use our weapons and we have to learn how to assess, assess the battle that we're in. <clears throat> Growing up, God's challenging us to grow up. Not like, but I think he'll give us some hints to how we grow in just a minute. But growing up, it's, it's ongoing seeing and increasing in the knowledge of what God has done, our salvation. When we read later on, I will, what can I render to the Lord for all he's done for me? I'll lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. That cup should be an ever-increasing, ever growing cup that as we realize more and more what Jesus has done on our behalf, then we can take that and we can hold it up. And it's just like what Paul is saying in Colossians, isn't it? It's interesting, his prayer for us. He doesn't say, go out and do this, and I pray that you do this. He just says, I want your eyes to be open so that you can see who Jesus is. And so that you can understand the surpassing greatness of the power that's at work in you. I want you to get what this cup of salvation is about and learn to drink from that and offer that up to the Lord. <clears throat> the second area um, that I, I wanted to spend a little time on in the second phrase, the first one is deliver our soul from this. This Deliver our soul from death, this amazing rescue that God has done on our behalf. The second one is, is our tears. He wants to turn our tears to rejoicing. You notice he, well, let me just read it. Verses 3 and 4. Psalm 116, 3 and 4. He says, the cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol, or the grave, came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord, O Lord I beseech you, save my life. <clears throat> Verses 7 and 8. Return to your rest, O my soul. He was not at rest. He was not at peace. He was anxious and fearful of men and fearful of what was happening to him. But he, he realized what God had done, and he said, Return to your rest, O my soul. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And then verse 11, I said in my alarm, all men are liars. There is a chapter in life and there's a part of life that weeping may last for the night. Um, Psalm 30 says, God doesn't exclude us from, from the sorrows and difficulties in life. He doesn't do that at all. But what he does is invite us to draw near to him and meet him as our very present help in trouble. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. And sometimes we discount what other brethren go through because we have this false impression in our mind that the Christian life is life without problems and difficulties. We never say that out loud, but we sort of think that. And when Peter says, and don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you find yourself in as though some strange thing was happening to you. 
Brothers and sisters, the fiery ordeal is the normal Christian life. It's a, and if we have any expectation otherwise, we're going to live in the realm of disappointment. He despaired even in life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves. Again, that nudging away from self-sufficiency toward dependence on him, but in God who raises the dead. Man, that's the power that I want working in me, right? And yet, so, uh, and yet I, get, I get surprised at the fire ordeal that I find myself in. Romans 5, 3 to 5, it says this, And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Now, that's a perverted person unless they understand the power of God. We can exalt in our tribulations if we know what's happening in our lives. The tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So what's the purpose of our trials? They prove us. They test us. Tests aren't always bad. They expose our flaws, that's for sure. But they also expose what God has done positively. And God is cheering us on, brothers and sisters, when we learn to stand and even take baby steps of faith. They prove and build us up what God is doing. Paul says we have this treasure, this new life that God has given us in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. Again, that continual nudging us into dependence on him. And he uses our circumstances and relationships, our situations in life to do that very thing. We glorify God when we respond correctly to life's circumstances. We become conduits of his love. The love of God is poured out by the Holy Spirit in our life. And he does that through our difficulties. Here's the problem, my problem. I don't like how God does that. I say, God, well, let let me just read this. Um, Oswald Chambers is one of my favorite devotional guys, and I've read a lot about his life and stuff, but he was a guy um, that actually served in World War I, and and, um, he wrote this devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. It's affected Christians for every generation since he was alive. But he, he wrote this one devotional, and this really stood out to me, because we just don't like the way God does things. He talks about God's revelation of his plan and purposes for our life, And he says, and and for one radiant flashing moment, we see his purpose and we say, here I am, send me. This call has nothing to do with personal sanctification, but with, with being made broken bread and poured out wine. Yet God can never make us into wine if we object to the fingers he chooses to use to crush us. If we say, God would, if God would only use his fingers and make me broken bread and poured out wine in a special way, then I wouldn't object. But when he uses someone we dislike or some set of circumstances to which we said we would never submit to crush us, then we object. 
Yet we must never try to choose the place of our martyrdom. If we, if we are going to be made into wine, we will have to be crushed. You cannot drink grapes. Grapes become wine only when they are squeezed. And, and yet we resist God's dealing in our life. He is a, God is a God, brothers and sisters, that's a collector of tears. Did you know that? There's not an instance in your life and in my life that we cry over our sin or cry over relationships or cry in our hurts or whatever that God doesn't gather it together and he's going to acknowledge it someday. In Psalm 56, it says he has bottles that he puts our tears in. Isn't that amazing? And yet we want to we be exempt from tears, but we're not. We just are not. God is a collector of tears, though. And he will acknowledge those. He uses those. It's part of the process. <clears throat> so the result, it's patience. The, the testing of our faith produces patience. And that word is an amazing word. It literally means to remain under. It's a choice. I have this pressure on me. And, I, and it's pressing me in. What's my natural reaction to that? Oh, that I had wings like a dove and I would fly away and be at rest from the stormy wind and tempest, right? I'm out of here. And God says, well, if I realize that he's in control, I realize that he loves me and has a plan and I'm in that, then I can stay under in that situation and say, God, do your work in me. Work your work in me. And I submit to that because you're in control. That re realization for me, brothers and sisters, has been a kind of an ongoing, and I've been in the faith a long time, and I feel like such a novice. I'm serious about that. All these things have been tested in my life to the nth degree this last couple of years. But when I realized and I wrestle it out that God is really in control. And I can say, yes, you're in control, even though I don't like it. And when I can wrestle it out in my heart and say, God, you really do love me. But it doesn't feel like that now. Then I can go on. And if I can wrestle it out and say, God, you have a plan and I'm part of that plan. And I want, I want to enter into that. Then God is pleased with that, and he meets me in that place. That's the place, that's the place of maturity, I think, the broader place. If you read in Psalm 66, 8 through 12, it starts off this way. It says, God keeps us, alive and does, keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. And then he says, Lord, but you allowed men to ride over our heads. You put me in the deep waters, and I was drowning, and all this stuff happened to me. And it's you, 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 you. And then it ends this way. He says, yet you brought me out into a place of abundance. That we got that. We, he understood more of that cup of salvation. And God wants us to understand that too. Actually, it's the only way, it's my only hope. It's the only way I get through the struggles I go through. Um, having to go back to those basic truths, you know. God really is in control. 
the last thing I'd like to chat about, and I'll make this kind of quick. He, he wants us to go from stumbling along to walking. Maturing is directly related to our decision-making. Maturing is directly related to our priorities. When we start seeing into the spiritual realm and understanding God's ways, then we can start making decisions based on that, not just what we see. And, and that's different decisions, different, different decisions, maturing, having different priorities. God wants us to be strengthened. And we see that in this psalm, verses 1 and 2. As long as I live, God, God wants us to be in the process for the long haul. God shows us in that, just in that phrase, that time is built into the process and that he wants us to end well, as long as I live, he says. In verse 4, he says, then I called on the name of the Lord. I'm convinced the greatest mark of maturity is when we, as God's children, how quickly we include him in the dialogue. I've said that before, but I just believe that. That, that he wants us to come to the place of inadequacy and include him in the dialogue and call out on him right away. That's relational. <clears throat> he says, I want to walk before the Lord now in the land of the living. Not, it's just not hope for heaven, but it's hope that we're going to see God's conclusion now, we're going to see him take us from the weeping may last for the night to the shout of joy comes in the morning part of our life. Now, in this life, and he wants us to have that expectation. Psalm 145, I, I just love this psalm. It says, "Let verses 5 and 6, let the godly ones exalt with glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Doesn't that describe kind of a, a warrior and a soldier for God? And a joyful warrior and soldier for God? I want to be a joyful warrior. And sometimes I'm just kind of wallowing in my own self-pity. But God, that's part of the process too, I guess. So um, Janice, you can come on up. The worship team, Janice and Bill, <laughs> come on up, guys, and we'll close this down. James 4, 7 and 8, it says this. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And, and the question is tonight, guys, is how can we honestly assess how, how we're doing in our walk with the Lord and in this battle? You know, that's a hard thing. You know, like, it is really a hard thing to assess where I stand sometimes. But I think... What I think God is pleased with is that we draw near and ask. That's the issue, is drawing near and, and laying our heart out before him. And like the writer of Psalm 139, King David said this, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. You see the relational part of that? I love that. So I don't know how to honestly assess where I am sometimes in the battle, but I can draw near to God. And I can expose my heart to God and say, you have your way in me. I want, I want to 
in this thing well. You know, I want to walk with you and I want to end this well. <clears throat> we can do that by having time in the Word. That's where, we, that's where we get God's mind on things. This is why it's way more than just having a quiet time or my obligatory time in the Word. God wants His Word to be integrated down to the depths of our being. And we do that in the battle. We get in the word and verses stand out to it. We take it personally and we apply it to our lives and say, God, this is my only hope. We put ourselves in places that will have the maximum growth. We, we assent to the struggles that we go through. And we allow God to have his way in us by remaining under until he removes it from us. And submit to submit to that. that. That makes a lot more sense of the difficulties, doesn't it? That when God's in control and doing that on my behalf of anything that I'm going through, if the Lord Jesus came up to me in the middle of it and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Mike, you know, I'm in this. I would respond differently. And he's doing that to us. He's saying, I'm in this. I'm in your life. Why are you anxious about so many things, Martha, Mike, um, whoever? Um, well, we're going to transition to communion, guys. And I love this time. I love that we do it weekly. I, lo I love it on Saturday evening because it's so intimate. But this is taking of the cup of salvation and saying, what I know of this right now, God, this is so good. Thank you that you've invited me into your family. And Jesus' body was broken so that I could be whole. And thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood so that I can be free and cleansed. And week to week, as we grow in our relationship with him, he's pleased when we get it. He's pleased when we come, and that cup that we celebrate and that salvation that we celebrate is bigger. Week to week, isn't it? Until we go to be him face and meet him face to face. So let's share this communion time together. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're welcome to this table. And, um, and, and let's just uh, invite the Lord Jesus to come as he promised, where two or three are gathered in my name. I'm in the midst of them. And you do this in remembrance of me. How long? Until he comes back. Or we go to be with him. And then we'll feast personally. Uh, Father, we are uh, just so thrilled to be members of your family. Lord, we don't, even, we don't even get it. Eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard. We haven't even thought about all that you have in store for us. We, we want to get it, though, Lord. And we just thank you for the taste that we have so far. Uh, thank you for this bread. Thank you that it's your body broken for us. Thank you for this cup, that it's a promise of our cleansing and being white as snow. Thank you for the community of believers that we can share this together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.